So how's everyone doing today? Pretty good. Um, we are currently in the book of uh, Philippians. We're going through a series, going through the chapters, and we're going to be reading through chapter two today, verses twelve through eighteen. But first, I want to talk to you guys about a conspiracy theory. Has anybody ever heard of the reptilian conspiracy theory? Yes, it's a pretty popular conspiracy theory, and the theory is basically, in a nutshell, that there are blood-drinking, shape-shifting reptilian humanoids among us. It's not funny, <laughs> and that they have actually gone as as far as they've come to our planet from another galaxy, and they've taken over roles in our world and places of power like government and media. And places like that. I had a friend who was really into this theory, and, and I was thinking about it. And he believes that on a daily basis, and I'm not making fun of him, because there's only truth, not truth. But the thing about it is, is that if he believes that on a daily basis he runs into people that might not actually be of this world, but just look like everyone else because they talk like everyone else, they act like everyone else, and they fit in so well with everyone else. I was thinking that's not much different than Christians because oftentimes as Christians we have a we just kind of sit there and we we fit in with everyone else and we look like everyone else. Now usually when we stick out, it's not because of a good thing. It's usually negative connotations of being judgmental or hateful or something like that. But the truth of the matter is, we're supposed to look. We're supposed to be set out in love and in the love of Christ, and we are not supposed to be of this world. You know, Christ says this. He says, "But now I am coming to you." This is in John seventeen thirteen through twenty six. Which says, "Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, and they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask these things only; ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be just as one, just as you and I, Father, in me are one, and I in you, that they. May also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one, and in them and I in you, that they become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love me even as I love. Uh, oh, sorry, he says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me. May be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love in which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So Christ has sent us into the world, and we are now. 
ambassadors for Christ. So if you claim Christ to be your king, you are now representing Christ. And, you know, he sent us into a dark world. And he actually says, Father, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but deliver them from the evil one. So it implies that Jesus didn't come just to save us just so that we could go to heaven, because if he did that, we would go just straight to heaven. But he says, I do not take take them out of the world because they have a purpose and they have a mission. But the thing about it is we also have to understand that our home is not of this home and our mind should be in the ways of God and not in the ways of this world. We have a mission here, but our mind needs to be set eternally. And Paul understood this. He talks about in the first chapter of Philippians about how his desire, his mind was to be with Christ but that he didn't know whether or not he would die because it would be better for the world if he stays. He understood his purpose. You see, Christ sent us into a dark world. And Paul is writing this letter. He's in prison. But he sees this opportunity. He understands his purpose and that he's light. And even though he's in prison, he's bringing light into a dark place. And he gets to share the gospel with the whole imperial guard. So he understands his purpose And he doesn't let earthly circumstances dictate how he feels about things. He just knows his purpose and why he's been called. And that he understands that he is light in a dark place. And I think oftentimes, we as Christians, we we pray that God would take us out of dark places. And take us out of trials and stuff like that. But what really hit me when I was reading this is that... Christ has sent us into a dark world to be light. So how can we ask to be taken out of darkness when he sent us to be light? See, in this world, we will always have darkness. But when we come, we're here to bring view, to bring Christ to the people. And things might be hard in this world, but our minds are set on Christ. <coughs> Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but behold, I have overcome the world. You see, he's thinking in a kingdom mindset. And don't you think that this world needs to see us go through the same hard situations that they go through, except to see it through in a totally different way? To see it through in a victorious way? And to not have see someone that doesn't let the circumstances of this world and their current situations affect how they act. And they will be a people that sticks out in this world. Could you imagine that if your, jo- if your circumstances at your work didn't have anything to do with how hard you worked because pleasing man has nothing to do with the kingdom of God? You know, don't you think that, or maybe you know, maybe you know someone at work and they're really hard to love. Maybe they annoy you a lot. But maybe that way of thinking has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And we are supposed to renew our minds daily and align our, our thoughts to his thoughts and become more and more like him every day. You know, Jesus is our example. And Jesus was, was the perfect will of the Father. Jesus did nothing outside of the will of the Father. He says, I do only as my Father does. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And we are supposed to be imitators of him. 
You know, Jesus didn't let the earthly circumstances dictate the way he thought. He didn't look at the waves when he walked on water. He didn't consider the loaves and how few loaves he had when he fed the thousands. (coughs) And he didn't love us because we loved him. And also, on the day that he died and rose again, he was walking in the people. He had just got beaten and spit on and tortured. But instead of acting like the world would, in hate, he just replies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Christ didn't act like the world because he was not of the world. And you now, in Christ, should no longer act like the world because you are no longer of the world. You see, we are called to represent Christ now. Everything that we do is, a, is to represent Christ. And our ways should match up with his ways. And our mind needs to be renewed to the way of his way of thinking. And that's really the truth that I want to get to in Philippians. So let's turn there. We're going to be reading chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Give you all a second. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own (coughs) salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so let's start with the beginning of this verse. The very first word is therefore. And it's important because you've got to realize whenever the Bible says therefore, you have to look at the previous statement to understand the context. Because it's basically saying, because you agreed to the previous truth. And I'm going to read that real quick. This was in, right before this. It says, which would be that Jesus being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what Paul is really saying here is that, first of all, to be obedient. Why? The reason why is not not because Paul is there or absent, but because you agreed and you've become a slave to righteousness because you agree that Jesus is the king above all kings and the Lord of all lords. And whatever earthly circumstances surround you, you do everything in the view and in the mindset that Jesus is Lord and that's it. All other circumstances don't have anything to do with it. And then the next part of the verse, he goes in to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is kind of, you know, trips a lot of people up because at first glance, they think, you know, isn't it by grace that you're saved and not of works? That's very true, but that's not what it's it's saying here. Because if you look at it, it doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling, but it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word workout here is the same word that would be used for working out a math problem, seeing it through. So so what it's really saying is that if you're to work out your salvation, 
it implies that you already have your salvation. So it's really the difference here between justification and sanctification. <coughs> and the difference is, is justification, which is when you're saved, is declaring and accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And see, I want to emphasize that it's accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, not just Savior, which means everything you are and everything about you, you set before the King and you die to yourself. It's a complete surrender. You view him as Lord now. He's your Lord. And that should bring a fear, not a fear like, you know, being scared of somebody, but that should bring a fear. It should bring a reverence to your life that you are now a slave to the King of Kings. You're a slave to righteousness. So when you accept Jesus as Lord, he comes in and he cleans you out with his blood. And you become justified and set right before the Father. And that's when you become saved. That's when you become part of the church. And it's that moment in life that you now represent Jesus. And that should bring a fear to you, a righteous fear, that you now represent him. And after that, Christ starts a work in you because he's in you now. And there's this process that goes on to where everything in your life that doesn't match up with the ways of God, the Holy Spirit slowly starts to expose them until you look more and more like Christ. And you, you you are free from sin now, but you are a slave to righteousness. So your life must look more and more like Christ daily. And things, your past sins are no longer acceptable anymore. See, we, do not, we don't sin because we're trying to get to heaven. We don't sin because we represent Christ now. And it doesn't, in turn, bring eternal damnation. But you will have to answer for the way that you lived and the way that you represented Christ to the world. Romans six fifteen through 23 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are no... We are not under law, but under grace. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, became obedient from the heart to, under, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to the lawlessness leading to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin... You are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he's really just saying here is that we are to live our lives in awe and reverence of who Christ is. And we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. The next verse says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
So this is a full surrender of yourself, not just in your actions, but in your thoughts and the way and everything about you. Because even as I read this verse, I had to be sanctified a little bit because the first time I read it, I was just like, that's too hard, God. I don't want to do that. I was breaking it as I was reading it. But it's a full surrender to everything. It's setting your minds on the things above. It's living in the new calling of representing Christ in everything you do and everything that you are. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You see, we were made to shine. Christ kept us in the world to be the light of the world, to represent him in every way. So that when the world sees us, they don't see the brokenness that they might see in their life, but they might see the newness of life that you have in Jesus. That they can see a hope in your life. See, we're not God's plan B. It's not that Jesus didn't work, and now it's our turn. Jesus chose us to represent him. And probably most of the people in this world's opinion of Jesus is based off of how the church reacts, the way church represents him. But Jesus is very clear that he has set us to be the light to this world. He talks about it in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, where he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, God didn't just call us to go to heaven. He didn't just die so that we would just straight up into heaven. He wants heaven to get inside of us, and he wants us to reach his other children and to proclaim his name. And it's a reverence. It's, it's awesome that we get this privilege to represent Christ. But the fear and trembling part is understanding that he has chosen us to represent him. He's saying, you go and represent me. And he's the king above all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we can't take that lightly. It's serious stuff. It's soul-saving stuff. So let's be a church that's not afraid to let the love of Christ shine through us. Let's be a light for our city. Verse 17 says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul's saying is that he has the understanding and that he is not of this world, but that he has a mission of this world. And if he's to die because he represented Jesus to this church, he's glad. If he's to stay, he will rejoice also because he's going to continue his purpose and his understanding of, of what he's called to do in this world. But he doesn't fear death 
because he's already died to himself and he's already has his mind on the eternal things. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, whenever you gave, whenever you gave up your life and accepted Jesus, you gave up citizenship to this world. And we just have to have the realization that God chose us. He chose us to represent the world. He chose us to be his children. Second Corinthians, I think it's second Corinthians verses chapter five, verses 17 through 21. I actually forgot to put the uh, scripture on top, but I'm pretty sure it's second Corinthians it says, therefore, if anyone in it is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's Christ in us, molding us and shaping us to look more like himself. And to do that, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your natural instincts. And you've got to realize God has chose us to make his appeal. Chose us to make his appeal. So what I want to, what I want to just really say today is that we have to be a church that represents Christ. And our lives have to be a living testament that's so out of this world. And we have to realize that our purpose is not to be taken out of darkness but to bring light into a dark place. Would you pray with me? Father, I just, I just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to uh, just be here today, Lord. Lord, and uh, Lord, I just pray over this church and everybody here, Lord. Lord, that you would just do a work in them, Lord. Lord, and that you would right now convict them of whatever it is in their life, Lord, that is preventing you from working in their lives, Lord. Lord, that is preventing you from fully shining in their lives, Lord, so that everyone in here can represent you well, so that this church can represent you well, Lord. Lord, we do it not to impress the world, Lord, but it's because we're surrendered to you and you work through us, Lord. Lord, and until the day that we go home with you to our eternal destiny, Lord, Lord, I just pray that here on earth we be a people that you get to work through. Lord, I ask that you just humble us all. And we love you and we give all your, our glory to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm.